Well, if you're up on Facebook here this morning, put a little note up there. We're wrapping up our series here on faithfulness. There is still one section of this topic that I had uh, prepared, but I just never have gotten to go ahead to go with it yet. Now, I can mean a number of different things. One, I don't have it down yet. <laughs> and the other, we're just not, not supposed to get into it. So I'm not sure which one it is, but uh, we'll let that one sit there for a while. There's still much more in the Word of God on faithfulness. We've been on it for a while, but don't think for a moment that we've exhausted it. There's still other areas of Scripture I've written down we haven't gotten into, but we're going to get into this area here in Numbers. The Word of God is filled with men and women who are sent in the areas full of people who serve the kingdom of Satan. They had a God-given assignment, but some never accomplished the assignment. During the time that they were there, they were changed. They were sent to be overcomers, but instead they became overcome. So you have to wonder, what turned people who were once filled with faith, faithful people, what turned them to not stay with what they knew? Now, some held out longer than others. I'll give you a couple examples of this. If you look at Peter. Peter was with with Jesus for three and a half years. And we know that he was with Jesus for a while. um, Up until the the time when Jesus was taken in the garden. How long did it take Peter to turn from being faithful with the word that God gave him? It was hours, wasn't it? He went from being a place surrounded by disciples and surrounded by Jesus and he went to a place where there were hostile people around him. And he turned very quickly. Now that's not the only time Peter turned. We see that Paul had to rebuke Peter later on because he got amongst people who were religious and he fell into doing it their way. And Paul had to rebuke him publicly. Because the sin he did was public and led a lot of people down that way. So if you think that it's just weak people who follow this way, you would be wrong. It's not just weak people. It's sometimes some very strong people. We even have a case where Elijah, he felt isolated. And he did not stay with the things he knew to do. He went in the wrong direction. And the Lord had to lead him away and said to him, Elijah, what are you doing here? And you all remember his response, very rehearsed response. I have been faithful. (laughs) And he went over all the things he was doing for the Lord. Nobody else was in his league. Nobody else was doing the things he was doing. I alone am left. And they seek to kill me. But apparently God didn't have the same viewpoint of that. But we're going to take a look at this, a story. We have looked at this a few times over the years. I think the last time we got into it in any depth was about two years ago. But we're going to to just uh, go in here just with a little different, little different look at it. In Mark chapter 9, though, in verse 42, it reads this way, But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. Now, if you were going to cause one to stumble, 
you would have to cause them to believe in something that is not the truth. Wouldn't that be right? If you led them in the way of truth, you wouldn't cause them the way of stumbling. So if you're going to cause someone to stumble, you would have to first lead them into a way of, of untruth. That would mean that either you believe something that is untrue to be true, or you know what not to be, and you lead them there anyway. Now, neither one of those scenarios is good. I think one's a little worse than the other. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble. Now, it's important for us to understand that as we get into this this chapter here in Numbers chapter 13. Now, I don't think I have this in your outline, but I wrote this down just kind of a summary of some things in the area of faithfulness. First off, if we're going to be faithful people, if we're going to be people that are faithful with the things of God, you have first off have to know what God has said. You have to know what God has said. It is imperative that you know what God has said. Not that you, well, I think God said something like this. I think this is what God meant. No, you have to first off know what did God say? That has to be ingrained in you. Because the enemy will always try to pervert it. He will try to pervert it with other people. He will try to pervert it with things that come to your spirit. He will try and pervert it through pressure. There's all kinds of ways he's going to try and pervert this. You have got to know what God has said. Because that's what you're required to be faithful to. Know what God has said. Understand God's purpose. Why has God said it? What is the purpose for which God has said it? That's why you meditate on the Word of God. Father God, I want to know, why did you say this? What is it that you want me to do? Understand God's purpose. Be faithful to carry it out. Carry out that purpose. Father God, this is what your purpose is. This is what you said. I'm going to carry out this purpose. I'm going to do this. No matter what comes against me, no matter how useless I think it is, This is the assignment. This is the post that you gave me. I will stay with it. I will not move off of it. Just like a soldier when he is told, guard this. He stays and he guards it. He doesn't try and figure out how important is it. He stays there and he guards it. I heard, uh, I don't know if I shared this with you, but uh, some time ago I was uh, listening or reading up on something. And they were going over in World War II how many lives were given for a small, insignificant strip in the Pacific. I forget the name of the island. I should know it, but I've somehow I've forgotten that one. Insignificant. It didn't seem like much at all. But the Japanese had dug in and it cost a lot of lives to take that small little island No one was told the purpose for why they had to take it. Why don't we just move on from here and go to some other places and just let these guys stay there. We'll come back and get them later or just bomb the whole place and whatever it might be. But they did what they were told and a lot of lives, a lot of soldiers' lives were lost taking taking that strip of land that was there. But there was an airport there. And once they took it, they repaired it. They tried not to damage it while they took it. But they repaired it. And they made it ready. Because you see, the high, the powers of the be understood that we had a bomb. 
that we were going to drop on two of the Japanese cities to end this war and to bring it to a close. But they knew that the only plane that could fly this particular bomb to its destination was not that reliable. And if it had to fly from one of the further airstrips, it may not make it. And we only had two. We did not have a far arsenal. We had two. If they lost one, that would be bad news. They couldn't have the plane fall in enemy's hands. It was imperative that they take this strip of land and that they build this uh, attack from this place. It was closer. And so they did that. And they dropped the two bombs. You all are familiar with that? Nagasaki, Hiroshima. And if you ever wonder why they did two, they only had two. They dropped two because they wanted them to sit the impression that we have more and we can do more of this. That was all we could do. But it gave the impression to the Japanese that we could do more. They decided it's not worth fighting anymore. And even though a lot of lives were lost in those bombings, a lot more lives would have been if we had gone conventional warfare. But that was why they had to take that strip. They couldn't tell anybody about it. They couldn't tell anybody about the project that was underway, what they had developed, what they had brought about. See, sometimes the purpose that God gives us is all the purpose that we are to know. Just trust Him. Trust that God has His kingdom and your well-being in mind. And He's going to do things that are going to go the best for that. Here's the last one. So be faithful to carry it out. And last one, sort out the false from the true. Sort out the false from the true. See, this is up to you. God has told you there's false out there. He's told it to you. He's warned you. Be careful you're not deceived. How many times has he said in the Word of God, be careful you're not deceived. Test the spirits. See if they're of God. Tells you how to test them. Don't fall into what's false. Last week we just did a little one-timer thing. But remember, the spirit that is against Christ wants to protect what is false and destroy people. That's what it's after. The spirit that is against Christ, the things things of Christ, it wants to protect what is false by whatever means necessary and destroy people who oppose it. The spirit of Christ wants to proclaim the truth and expose what is false. If you want to know what spirit something is of, you can pretty much bring everything back to this and you will be able to figure it out. No matter how good you think the purpose is, if it identifies with the spirit of Antichrist or the spirit that is against Christ, do not think for a moment that it is true or there's any good to it at all. Now understand in the end times there will be people who will buy into this and the spirit that is against Christ, the word of God calls it Antichrist, but just know it's a spirit that is against Christ. The spirit that is against Christ is out to bring believers to agree with it. And it will be successful for some. But once you, are, once you catch on to what this is, once you understand, it can't deceive you. 
It is so easy to tell this spirit from any other spirit. It is so easy. Really, you cannot be deceived unless you just turn a blind eye to it. And I know you won't. But let's go back. Let's get into our scripture here. Numbers chapter 13. Verse 1. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, every one a leader among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran according to the command of the Lord, all of them men who were heads of the children of Israel. All right. This is a broke easy story. Most of you know and remember the story of the 12 spies. Of the, Without even getting into it, I can bet you I can tell you how many of the 12 spies were faithful? Two. Two. How many were unfaithful? Ten. That's pretty easy to, to, to know that, right? I mean, you all even know the names of the faithful people. What are the names of the faithful people? Joshua and Caleb. We know them. What are the names of the unfaithful people? <laughs> I want you to notice something about this. On this day in history, 12 people faced their day of reckoning. 12 people faced the seventh game of the NBA Finals and had the ball in their hands for a last second shot. Twelve people were quarterbacking an NFL team in the Super Bowl with five seconds left to play in an opportunity to throw a touchdown pass. And two decided to do it. Two decided to go that way. Ten did not. This day, these 12 people were called to do something that if they were faithful and did what they were supposed to do, their names would have been remembered. But as it was, only two did and only two names do we remember. Even though all 12 are given. We're not reading over today. I'm going to skip over those verses. But if you wanted to, you could see it. It's right there. You could read it right there in the Bible and I don't know who this person is. I've never heard of this person again. But understand who these people are that are picked. Look at their qualifications. Send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I am going to give, I am going, I am giving to the children of Israel. From each tribe of their fathers, you shall send a man, everyone a leader among them. One person is selected. One person is selected. Now think about this for a minute. If we take the Chicago Bulls championship team and you can have any player on that team that you want, who are you taking? Jordan. <laughs> How many are going to take Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan would be it. Anybody for Scottie Pippen? How many of you don't even remember he was on the team? <laughs> Scottie Pippen was on the team. Big help. Big help for that for winning that championship. If he asked Michael Jordan, he doesn't win that championship without Scottie Pippen. If he asked Michael Jordan. If he asked most people who watch the game, it's Michael Jordan. Now, you're going to take that one. If you had, I don't know how many people are on the... Uh, Corey, how many people are on the, on the basketball team? On the team? 
It was the 12? Okay, I wasn't sure it was 12 or a little higher than that. 12 people in the team. Out of 12 people, you all know who you would take. And this is, this is a good guy. Michael Jordan is a great guy to have on your team. If you had to pick from thousands of people. Now, it's estimated that at the time that the children of Israel were ready to go into the promised land, there was between 2 and 4 million people. 2 to 4 million. Drive that by 12, you have an idea of how big each tribe was. Not, not each tribe was the same size, but it gives you an idea. So if you were to take those thousands of people, you're going to take the cream of the crop. You're going to take the best of them. You're going to take the best leader, the best warrior, the strongest guy. You're looking at dating 12 spies to go into the land. This is a dangerous mission. You don't want some skinny guy going along doing this thing. You want somebody with some muscles, some smarts, some ability. You are taking the 12 best guys you have out of 2 to 4 million people, one from each tribe. Moses is picking them. He's not leaving this up to the people to pick their own guys. Moses is picking them. So Moses has his pick. One from each tribe. Moses, if you are a faithful person, can you pick out another faithful person? My word, yes. Faithful people can find faithful people in a moment. They can also find unfaithful people. So, how many of you think that Moses selected somebody who was so-so? Moses picked the people he wanted. He got the best, the most spiritual, the most grounded. He got ones that had strength, that had ability. He got the best of the best and he picked them. And if Moses is going to pick them, how many know he probably is praying about this? And he picks 12 guys. And out of the 12, only two? How do you take 10 out of 12 that are handpicked by Moses, seem to be the strongest, best, most faithful, How do you turn them in a matter of 40 days? That's what we're looking at here today. Now again, you can go through the rest of the verses there and see who the rest of the people are. We don't need to remember them. They're unfaithful. So in verse 16, these are the names of the men whom Moses sent to spy out the land. And Moses called Hosea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Then Joshua, or then Moses sent them to spy out the land of Canaan and said to them, now here's their assignment. Go up this way into the south and go up into the mountains and see what the land is like, whether the people who dwell in it are strong or weak, few or many. Whether the land they dwell in is good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps or strongholds, whether the land is rich or poor, and whether there are forests there or not. Be of good courage, Bring some of the fruit of the land. Now the time was the season of the first ripe 
grapes. So he sent them out. He gave them assignments. I broke it down to three things. The strength and numbers of the people, the conditions of the land and the cities, and to bring back some of the fruit. That is their assignment. This is what they are supposed to do. These are, again, faithful people. They are filled with faith. Moses would not have picked anyone who was not. They had to have courage. They had to be brave. You are going into a very dangerous area. Now, we don't know what all happened. We have a more, more of an account of the spies who went in on the second time than we do on this one. Remember Rahab the harlot and, and all the, the things that were going on the, in them in the city? But all we know in the second time was that they had gone into the land and there was some interaction between them and the people and that they were hidden because they came to look for them. So they found out that they were there and they were going after them. We're not told anything that happened inside the land with these 12 spies. Did they go into the cities? Did they inter- interact with the people? Did they talk with the people? Did the people find them at any time? Did they have any interactions with them? We don't know. There is nothing told about these 40 days. We just have that afterwards they came back out. Did they accomplish their purpose? In verse 21, So they went up and spied out the land from the wilderness of Zin as far as Rahab near the entrance of Hamath. And they went up through the south, came to Hebron, Ahiman, Sashi, and Tamai, the descendants of Anak, were there. Now Hebron was built seven years before Zoan in Egypt. Then they came to the valley of Eshkol, and there cut down a branch with one cluster of grapes. They carried it between two of them on a pole. How big the grapes were. They also brought some of the pomegranates and figs. The place was called the valley of Eshkol because of the cluster which the men of Israel cut down there. And they returned from spying out the land after forty days. This land was very, very productive. not going to get into this here today, but I'm just going to throw you a little nugget. How many of you all know where the Garden of Eden is? The Garden of Eden is in the area of Israel. Anybody not know that? Garden of Eden is in the area of Israel. Go back to the book of Genesis, look at the rivers that are around it. But I thought it was on guard. No, it was on guard until the garden died off. Why do you think the land of Canaan is so prosperous? More so than any other land. Somewhere in that area is where the Garden of Eden was. It's not there now. The tree of life that was in the center of the garden and the tree of life that was in the garden has been taken out and it's been planted someplace else. Go in the Word of God and find out where it is. I'm not going to tell you. (laughs) It has been transplanted. But that is the area where the, the Garden of Eden was. That's why that area is so prosperous. It's also how that area went under such an unprosperous time when Israel went out. When Israel left it, no one wanted the land anymore. It was un- unproductive. As soon as Israel takes it back, it becomes productive again. What does that tell you? Every time Israel has the land, it's extremely productive. As soon as Israel does not, it becomes barren. When Israel is given the land again, it becomes productive. When they lose the land, it becomes barren. When they're given the land again, it becomes productive. Doesn't that seem odd? (laughs) Well, let's go on. Where do we leave off at? Got through 25? 
Verse 26. Now they, they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. So, they all came back. They did what they were supposed to do. Showed them the fruit of the land. And they told, then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey. And this is its fruit. Nevertheless, that's not necessarily a good word to use in there, is it? The people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south. The Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea along the banks of the Jordan. Now, they give the report that was requested, right? But they must have had a little bit more. There had to have been some kind of a tone because we all know that after they got done giving this report that the people were not pleased to go on. There had to be a tone. Have you ever heard somebody give a report with a tone? They don't believe it. There's a negative part to it. Well, I'm telling you what you want to know, but I don't think this is right. I don't think this is going to work. You can hear it. There's a, there's a tone that is there. There's something that's tried to, to, um, to pass off about it. You'll see this in the, in the news media today. I'm sure most of you don't listen to them. But, you know, I hear people who report on them. I had to keep the eyes on, on what these guys are because these are false prophets in the land. They, are, they prophesy things. They're out there now. For, for a while, they were prophesying that the economy was, uh, was terrible and that um, you know, it was, it was going to tank. How many remember the day they did that? I remember the day they did it. They all did it together. One day. And the stock market went down. Why? There was absolutely no indications that the stock market should go down but they believed the report. And after a while, it didn't seem like that report was uh, going to hold water and they stopped reporting it and the stock market came back up. See, sometimes there's a tone in what they, they do. Now, I don't know. If I, I, I don't not, I'm not a big financial person, but I did tune in a little bit to what they were, they were doing and uh, what they were basing it on. And once I learned what it was they were basing this on, I laughed at it. I said, you've got to be kidding. This is, what, this is what you base it on? It has never been an indicator, but they tried to sell it as, as one. Don't let people talk you into having a, having a recession. You just don't need to do that. Anyway. They must have been some kind of a tone. And we saw that one word, nevertheless, that was there. And they went in there somehow. The inhabitants of the land shocked them. But they knew who was in the land to begin with. God even named these people. These are the ones that are there. I'm going to take them out for you. How many times did he talk about all the ites that were there? Ite this, ite that, all these ites that were in there. And he says, I'm going to drive them all out for you. And then they get in there and they see them. Hey, they're there. Well, yeah, God was saying that. And he said he's going to drive them out. Yeah, but they're there. We saw them firsthand. Remember who it is that went in. The cream of the crop. The people most filled with faith. The most faithful people. Strong. 
able to be a spy. I don't know about you, but you know, if you're going to be a spy, you've got to be able to take people out. I've watched spy movies. I know that spies can take people out. How many watched the movie Taken? Yeah, he could take some people out. I heard a humorous thing. I was, I was letting my wife watch it. I, I, I don't know too much of this guy's work, but I, I know some of his voices. Seth MacFarlane. You ever heard that name? He does uh, Kermit the Frog. And so uh, this particular time he was doing Kermit the Frog, but he was doing Liam Neeson's little phone call. <laughs> you know, that, that, I, I have a particular set of skills. <laughs> Can you imagine that, that whole speech given in Kermit the Frog's voice? <laughs> it was hysterical. I was watching him do it. He couldn't keep a straight face doing the whole thing. <laughs> it's just, just laughing. But you see, you can give something really dumb. Liam Neeson does it. I mean, you're scared. When Kermit the Frog does it, you're laughing. Same words. See, the words have nothing. It's not the words. It's what's, it's what's behind them. It's the belief. These people went out full of faith. They were faithful people. They were strong. They were courageous. Now think about this. I'm not sure if I put this in your outline later on down the road, but I'll tell it to you now anyway. Every single one of these guys, including these ten, are willing to go into the promised land to face these giants with only 12 people at their side. But when they come back after 40 days being in the land, they are scared to go in with the multitude. Doesn't that amaze you? How do you go from a place where you are willing to go into the land and face these guys with 12 people to the point where you won't go in with a multitude? I, I don't know. I don't know how you do that. Now, two of these guys, we know the two of these guys. Joshua is such a brave guy, courageous guy, and a good warrior. He is so good, he heads up the army for Moses. And he has, since they've come out of Egypt, heads up the army. He's his commander-in-chief of the army. Caleb, when he finally gets into the land, he says, see that mountain over there? I'm taking it. I don't need any of your help. I'm going to go get it myself. And he takes a mountain filled with giants. That's, that's how he is. Now, what do you think the other ten are like? They had to be along the same lines. But now they're afraid to go in. So they gave the report. Now, every time we go over this verse of Scripture, I always try and give you this. Because it's so easy to forget it. Investigating what God commissions you to do is not wrong, nor lacking in faith. It is not wrong to investigate what God says to do. It's not wrong to go investigate how much it's going to cost. It's not wrong to investigate what, is, what you have to sacrifice to get it done. There is nothing wrong with doing that at all. In fact, Jesus even commands it that you know, if, you're, if you're an army and you're going to go into battle, don't you calculate whether you have enough to, to win? If you're going to build a tower... Don't you calculate the cost and see if you have enough to finish it? If he's telling you to do that, then it's not a bad thing. 
He sends in 12 spies here. Later on, we're only going to send in a couple. But he still sends in the spies. It is not wrong to check out what God is saying to do. If God tells you to do something, go check it out. It's okay. But don't check it out to decide whether you're going to do it. You check it out <laughs> to see, all right, what do, I, what do I have to do? First off, make sure that God tells it to you. Because sometimes the enemy wants to get you on an assignment that's going to take you out of the will of God. Don't let that happen. Now see, what is destructive to your faith is first off, letting what you discover change what you believe from God's Word. Don't let that happen. When you discover stuff and you, as you investigate, don't let that change what you believe. Don't become fearful. You may check it out, but don't become fearful. And uh, last, don't take on unbelief. Don't take on the unbelief of those that are around you. Because there's going to be people around you who don't believe. And they're going to be telling you. You can't do that. But if God told you that you can, don't listen to the people who said you can't. So they spend 40 days amidst the enemy that serves Satan through selfish lifestyles and or idolatrous worship. 40 days among them. Now, when they're over there for 40 days, they don't get to be in the nice worship services with the Jewish people. They don't get to involve themselves in all the nice Jewish dances and the singing and worship songs. and They don't get to do any of that. There's no more worship services. They're there 40 days, no worship services. No words from Moses, what God said. No church services. Nothing. All that's gone for 40 days. But they're on assignment. I put this in your outline for you. We are not called to live detached from the world, but to have lifestyles that differ in faith like God's. Remember, Jesus says, have the God kind of faith in Mark chapter 11. Have the God kind of faith. Some of your translations read, have the faith of God. In the Greek, it actually says, have the God kind of faith. Have faith like God's. So let's go on here. They've given the report. Verse 30, Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. Because he could tell, they're given the impression, we can't do this. Regardless if we hear that in the words or not, that's the impression because Caleb jumped right in. Hey guys, we can do this. But look at what he said here. Then Caleb quieted the people. What do you think they were saying? Let me, let me give you something that we're not saying. Glory to God, this is going to be a great victory. <laughs> because Caleb's not quieting that down. They weren't talking about all the great things God was about to do for them. They were talking about, oh, woe is me. Oh, that we've been brought here. Oh, God's going to kill us. Those are the things they always talked about. 
Here they got another opportunity. So he quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. When they left, how many of these twelve do you think had that opinion? Not a single one, I don't think. Or they wouldn't have gone on this mission. But after 40 days, 10 of them had this opinion. Now, I don't know what happened there. We'll have to wait to get to heaven and watch the videotape. <laughs> I can only surmise what, a, what had occurred. But human nature being what it is, and we tend to repeat things, I kind of think it was this way. The devil looked around at those 12 men that were there. And he was hitting every single one of them with thoughts. Thoughts of failure. Thoughts of inadequacy. And he waited to see who it would take root with. And you know how he can tell it takes root? Because he doesn't know your thoughts. The way he knows how it's taken root? By what you say with your mouth. And some of them may have begun to say, I'm sure one of them began to start up. Man, I didn't think this was going to be this tough. Do you think we can really pull this off? And then somebody else chimed in. I don't think so. I don't, I don't think so. I'm, I, was, I was thinking the same thing. We're on the same spiritual level, brother. We're on the same spiritual level. I was thinking the same thing. And then pretty soon another one came on in. And then another one came in. You see, one at a time. All ten didn't turn at the same time. I'm sure Caleb, Joshua were over there talking with some of the others and pulling them over to the other side. You know we can do this. Yeah, I know we can do it. We got this. But by the time the 40 days were done, ten of them couldn't go. How many have ever seen that movie? Old time movie. Some of you may not even know the movie exists. But um, I, I believe it was called Twelve Angry Men. Anybody, anybody not ever seen, anybody not seen that movie, Twelve Angry Men? I, I think it's even in black and white. <laughs> That's how old it is. This entire movie takes place in a, not in the courtroom. It takes place in the jury room. Jury room. The entire movie takes place in the jury room. One room. One table. Twelve people. Now, the writing has to be pretty good to keep your attention in one room. And what you have is 11 people who decided this man was guilty and one person who decided he was not. And throughout the course of the movie, this one person sways all of them. But he does it one at a time. Pretty, pretty soon, it's two against ten. Then it's three against ten. Or a nine. Then it's four. And then it's five. One by one, they began to come over. It's a phenomenal movie. If you've never seen it, it's worthwhile seeing, especially when you see the garbage they put out anymore. <laughs> I mean, there's some real dialogue in this thing. 
and it's uh, just a just an interesting movie. But this is this is what happens here. Don't get the idea that twelve guys went in and ten of them said, "Let's sabotage this thing." Twelve guys went in with the purpose of accomplishing what Moses sent them to do, and to come back and bring the people into the land. And somehow, along the course of forty days, the best that Israel had, ten of them were converted. Don't think for a moment that you cannot be. Don't think for a moment that you cannot be converted. You can go from a place of being faithful and full of faith as quick as Peter did in a couple of hours or as quick as these guys did in 40 days. That's not meant to scare you. It's meant to make you aware your enemy is trying to undermine your faith. He will do it any way that he can. Don't let him do it. Heed the warnings. Now, I've given you this every time we've gone into this chapter too for a purpose. It's, it's too easy to forget it. They thought God was leading them to a land where they were greater than the inhabitants. They thought that God was leading them to a land where they were greater than the inhabitants. But God led them into a land where God was greater than the inhabitants. You've got to understand this. God is leading you into a call in which God is greater than the call. The enemy wants to make you think that you are greater than the call. You see, if he can get you to believe that you are greater than the call, and then he shows you how big the call is, or you begin to find out how big the call is, then you decide, I can't measure up to the call. And we fade. He apparently spent these 40 days working on these guys to get them to believe that what they were facing was greater than them. But Joshua and Caleb would not let go of the fact that they are not greater than my God. And that's why they stayed among the two and why they're the two that you remember. See, their view of themselves was small. But actually, if you look, look over at Joshua, I'll give you the reference for it there. Their enemies saw them as huge. Verse, verse 1, So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night, and all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness, why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? So they said to one another, Let us select a leader and return to Egypt. And Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. But Joshua the son of Nun and Caleb the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who spied out the land, tore their clothes and they spoke to all the congregation of the children of Israel, saying, The land we passed through to spy out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, then he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land which flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord, nor fear the people of the land, for they are our bread. Their protection has departed from them, and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. And all the congregation said to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. Remember what we told you about the spirit of Antichrist, right? If it cannot combat the message, it comes after the messenger. That's what it does. 
And it can't. It can never combat truth. It tries to, to throw out enough, enough darkness out there, but darkness cannot overcome the light. It just can't do it. And so it always resorts to this, all right, we've got to eliminate you guys. If you guys are going to proclaim this light, we need to eliminate you. So here you have the children of Israel ready to stone these two. Where do you think the ten are standing on this? Probably in the same spot wanting to lead the children of Israel to stone these guys. Can you imagine? The best of the best in 40 days were taken from being filled with faithfulness and faith to the point of receiving inspiration by the spirit that is against Christ. And that spirit that is against Christ was trying to wipe out Israel. And then they used people in the land of Israel to do it. They would motivate them. They would speak to them. During Jesus' day, they would speak to the Pharisees. They would motivate them. Um, Miss Ethel was, was talking about in John how the Pharisees, well, let's kill this guy. Well, let's kill this guy. Aren't you glad you don't have pastors in the church today who want to kill their congregation? The Pharisees want to do it. Let's get rid of Lazarus. We can kill him. <laughs> I don't like that church member. Let's kill him. <laughs> oh, man. All the congregations had to stone them with stones. Now the glory of the Lord appeared. That's what saved them. That glory of the Lord showed up. Well, they cried all night. They criticized their leaders. They wallowed in self-pity. Then they wanted to kill the people who had an opposing point of view. Whenever you see that attitude... People want to kill the opposing point of view. Don't wonder what's behind it. You know. Because when Jesus ran into people who didn't want to go along with what he was teaching, what did he do? He moves on. All right. Y'all don't want to hear it? I'm going to go over here. These people want to hear it. That's what he did. Just moved on. We kid about it, but we see it in a small, in a small kind of way. If people who eat meat run into people who eat vegetables only, what do they do? Nothing. They just say, "Oh, good, all of them want meat for me." <laughs> right? But if people who eat vegetables only run into people who eat meat, what do they do? Put them down cut them up, talk about how they're going to die and unfaith, un, unhealthy they are. Why is it that way? I run into people who, who just want to eat vegetables. It's fine. Eat them. That's right. I'm alright with it. I don't have to convert you. If you want to eat vegetables only, it's okay. That's good. I sent um, Nikolai he likes Burger King. He likes Burger King. So I, I saw this ad, <clears throat> this ad for Burger King. And it took me a little while to figure out what it said. It said, um, now he doesn't eat there all the time. I'm not telling you that. He's, you know, he, he probably hardly ever goes there, but um, yeah, he, he, he likes them. I can't stand the place. And it's, there's no spiritual reasons, anything like that. It's just... Um, I, it makes me sick when I eat them. That's all. It's just, I just, it, it's, it's a sauce, I think. It's something. I don't know what it is. I, I don't know. 
But I saw this ad for it. It took me a while to figure out. I finally figured out, oh, oh, this is a meatless burger. They have a meatless burger. And so I sent him a note. He didn't catch it at first. I said, did you see? Did you see what it is? He goes, what? (laughs) He's not going to have one of those. He likes meat. But if he didn't like meat, I'd still like him. See, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. When you, when you find something that's truth, you hang on to it. If other people don't want to go along with it, it's fine. Well, then you want to go along with it. But I'm going this way. But people who say, no, you can't just go along with it. You have to stop doing that. And you have to go along our way. And they want to force it. It's the wrong spirit. Don't ever follow it. Don't listen to anything they say. Anything. Because I'll tell you where they're from. Just go away. See, for these people, they turned their back on the Word of God. What did the Word of God say? I am going to take you to a land. I'm going to deliver you to it. I'm going to do this for you. This is what I'm going to do to, to help you. And, and That's the Word of God. That's the Word of God, right? Now, see, we all have Think of it this way. We all have certain words we think that are healthy, right? How many of you all have certain foods that you think are healthy to eat? These are good ones. And you have certain foods you know that are not healthy to eat. And when you see somebody that you like eating one of those unhealthy foods, you just want to go in there and correct them. You know that's not healthy for you. You ought to just blow them out of the water. I know. <laughs> just go on and eat it. See, we're not here to... I have foods that I like that are not healthy. But you see, I like them. You can go up to me and say, Steve, that's not healthy. I'll say, yep. <laughs> I'm going to eat it anyway. We all have certain things we, we like that are unhealthy, you know what? It won't kill you. It won't kill you. I I know people that have been eating Burger King all their lives and they're 80, 90 years old. It didn't kill them. I'm sure somebody's got some stroke of wisdom that, you know, you stop eating that, you're going to live longer. How are you going to prove that? There's absolutely no way to prove it. Eat what you like. But listen to your spirit. I always tell you that part. All right, here's the verse you need to get down for today. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. See, where these ten guys lost the battle was in their thoughts. As they're going through the, the land and they see an incredibly high wall, a well-fortified city, a new piece of warfare equipment they'd never seen before. Warriors of large statue, just tall. Stature that's just, I've never seen anybody like that. How are we going to fight them? And when they see all this, they have all this visual input and then comes the thought, how 
Are you going to be this? Now, at first, they are, they're going to combat it with, my God is greater. My God is greater. And I'll bet you every one of these ten guys did that in the beginning. But eventually, they stopped. They didn't do it anymore. You see, if he's going to get you to be unfaithful with what you know, he's got to change your belief. He's got to somehow get in there and change your belief. So he's going to show you everything that he can on the outside. And then he's going to sow some thoughts. This is going to kill you. This is going to take you down. You're not going to be able to stand up against this. This is too big. Look at that verse again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, it's been a while since I taught on this verse, but how many of you remember way back we went over this and we told you, if a stronghold always comes down when you use a particular weapon, is it a stronghold? Why do we not have walled cities anymore? Why do we stop? Here in this chapter, the numbers, they had walled cities. Huge walls. Why did we stop making walled cities? (laughs) We got planes fly right over them. That wall's not stopping them. You see, the wall is no longer effective. So we stopped making them. See, the only reason that there's a stronghold in your life is because you're not using the weapons against it that you're supposed to. The only way... Have you ever heard this from Christians? Well, that's just a stronghold in my life. You ever heard that from Christians? That's just a stronghold in my life. The only reason it's a stronghold is because you're not using the weapons. If you use the spiritual weapons, how many times have the strongholds come down? Let me read it to you again. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. This is what the weapons of our warfare do. Every time they meet the enemy, they win. The only time they don't is when we don't deploy them. And the only reason we don't deploy them is because we stop believing. Somewhere along the line, these ten guys stopped using the weapons. And they allowed this thing to take hold. And even the strong and mighty went down. See, it's not wrong to see the obstacles. It is not wrong to see the obstacles. It is wrong to let them alter your faith. You may see an obstacle in the way. God even sent, sent, send the spies. Go find out where the obstacles are. I want you to know where the cities are. I want you to know what you're up against. Go send the spies. Find out. Now, you see the obstacles. Don't let it all to your faith. This is what you need to come against. This is what you're going after. Ah, ah now I know what we're going after. See, if you go to the doctor and he gets your report and says, well, this and this is wrong in your body, that shouldn't alter your faith. 
should just focus it. Oh, all right. I just need to believe God that this happens, that this changes. Thanks, Doc. Appreciate that. And then you're going off. Father God, I thank you. This is not staying. So what kind of things do I need to do to affect that? And God will tell you some things that you can do to affect it. Turn it around. Change it. It'll help you. You see, when you're in a place surrounded by doubt and unbelief, what will you hear? Will you hear what God's Word is speaking to you? Or what the world is speaking to you? Because you're going to find yourself sometimes in some places where you're where these guys are. You're going out to spy out the land. You're 40 days in the enemy's camp. You're away from the nice worship services. You're away from the word that comes from Moses. Thus saith the Lord. You're away from that. But two guys continued to thrive. Ten guys didn't do so good. See, if you use the weapons, you'll stay faithful. The way that the enemy wants to get you to stop being faithful is to get you to stop doing what you know to do. Get you tired of fighting the battle. Don't, don't be tired of fighting the battle. You stay with it. You keep on going. I put this in your outline for you. Do you see yourself as surrounded or surrendered? See, if I am surrendered to God, Father God, you just tell me what you want me to do. I'm going to go out there and do it. God says, go, out and go into the land. Yes, sir. Or do you see yourself as surrendered? Remember the story in the, in the Bible? Prophet of God. Samuel's out there. And he's telling the, the king where the enemy is going to be. They get mad, so they send down to Dothan. Surround the city. And you got two people there. You got the prophet and you got his helper. And his helper's all afraid. We're surrounded. Oh no. And the prophet says, It's no big deal. <laughs> They're both in the same situation. So finally the prophet prays and he said, God opened his eyes. Let him see. And the servant's eyes were opened and he saw the angels that surrounded the city. And Samuel, as far as we know, he didn't see it. But he knew they were there. And he said to him, There are more with us than against us. No matter how much the devil wants to tell you who's against you, no matter how much he wants to point out all the circumstances and all the things that are there, if God has commissioned you if God has told you, if God has said, I need you to do this, then those that are with you are more than those that are against you. Be faithful not only in what you do, but also what you think and believe. There are a lot of people who stay faithful in the visible and what they do, but their thinking and their belief has been messed up. Don't let that get altered. The enemy is out to alter it. He's going to try and send false prophets and false words to get you in a false direction. Don't listen. Know how to spot what comes from God. And if God gave you the commission, He has empowered you. Because there is no one in the Word of God 
that he has ever sent that he did not equip? No one. If he sends you, he equips you. Whatever post he gives you, man it. Stay with it. Well, I've been faithful. It don't matter. Stay with it. Keep going. Don't be altered. Don't let the devil come in and say, well, if you don't do this, don't give in to fear. Think the things of God. Every single day, meditate on the Word of God. Every single day, let God teach you about what He's he's saying. Know that you are to live apart from the world, but you're still in it. But live apart from them. There should be a difference between you and the world. People should be able to say, you act different. You don't act like everybody else. They should see that you're different. Stay faithful to what God says to do. You might be out in the world's camp. You might be on assignment. That doesn't mean that the world doesn't change you. You stay faithful and do what God says. You may come to a day like Caleb and Joshua and the other ten guys, but you will come out on the side of the Caleb's and the Joshua's. You will come out on the side that people for thousands of years remember these two guys because they didn't give in to the fear and they stayed faithful with what God said to do. Ten guys didn't. And we don't even know their names. Would y'all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you for all the good things that you have in store for us. The enemy wants us to think that you have forgotten or that what you have called us to isn't able to be accomplished or that we're just not where we need to be in order to do it. So many thoughts will try and fill us with. But Father, you gave us the spiritual weapons and they are good for pulling down these strongholds that the enemy has. They have no place in our life. He may throw them our way, but we can knock them down without any trouble because we have the spiritual weapons. In 40 days, 10 of the best in the land became unfaithful, filled with fear and not with faith. But in those same 40 days, two people stood out and rose above and didn't veer from what you said. And you honored them. And we know their names to this day. Father, when we come to that day, And the enemy wants to try and make us decide to go in a wrong direction. I thank you. We don't have to give in. We can use the spiritual weapons. Cast down every argument, every thought, bring it into captivity. These things do not have to rule us, but we can rule them. There we had battle. No one looking around. Have you? Over these weeks, we've been looking at faithfulness in the Word of God. Has the enemy tried to pull you from your place of faithfulness? Has the enemy tried to fill you with thoughts 
that are not in line with the Word of God filled you with fear instead of with faith. Filled you with what is false instead of what is true. These things have gone on and you just raise your hand up. I'm going to pray for you. Father God, you see the hands that are raised? I thank you. The way that you minister to us. The enemy does not have a lock on victory. He is a defeated foe. Your word is far more powerful than any stronghold that he wants to erect. All we have to do is take the spiritual weapons and point it at it. But he is, his goal is to get us out of your word, get us out of your truth, get us into fear, bickering, complaining, all the things. Father, we don't have to follow the way he wants us to go. We want to follow the way that you want us to go. And I thank you that we can. Thank you for your empowerment and your great love that you have for us. No matter how much the enemy wants to tell us that you have forgotten us, forsaken us, or don't have a plan for us, we know from your word that you do. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Sister Margaret. Good morning, church family. As always, it is such a pleasure of mine to see each and every one of you and to uh, get to say um, good morning to you and thank God for each and every one of you. Thank you for those. I thank God for those that are listening by way of the Internet. We say thank you for uh, joining in with us this morning. Each week we're so grateful that God has given us um, messages that impact our lives and that we can take from what we have heard and defeat the enemy and what he desires to bring against us. I'm just so grateful. Um, the whole message is always so good. Um, but we, we heard at the end of the message, it's not wrong to see the obstacles, but it's wrong to let them alter your faith. And that's what the enemy is after. And that's what we have to fight against. We don't want to um, look at the word and say, well, um, maybe there's something wrong with the word. We have to look and see that the enemy wants us to see the word as something that is not helpful to us. But we are being taught that we need to look into the word so that we have weapons that the enemy cannot defeat. And also to see ourselves as surrounded by the things of God and not surrendered. So we're just grateful for the teaching that we get each and every week. Um, I know it helps each and every one of you, and it certainly helps me. want to give two um, praise reports that um, were given us today. We're so thankful to see Bobby and Candy in this morning, and they just wanted to say thank you to everyone for all of your calls and your prayers while they were out, that it was something that got them through. And we're just so grateful that we can be a part of what uplifts people. There's a lot of things in the world that, you know, if you, if you just, even if you don't turn the television on, there's just so much negative that wants to pull us down. But we're so grateful 
that we have a church family that we care about one another and we when we don't see you we are praying for you we are you know wanting to reach out and let you know um you were on my mind today so they're just saying thank you for that and um brother bruce is saying that um in april he got blood work that suggested that there were several major medical um issues that were happening and um, these issues needed um, the intervention of medical uh, procedures and medicine. And it took about two months uh, to finally follow after what God was um, telling him to do. And um, his doctor um, only told him about one of the conditions that was uh, needed attention. And in July... Um, he elected, and I like that, he elected to do what God was telling him to do. And sometimes that can be the biggest struggle. You know, um, God can reveal things to us, and but we have to choose to do what God is telling us to do. We can choose to do that, or we can choose to worry, or we can choose to do other things, but it is still going to always be a choice that we make. Uh, so for the next uh, two months... He got, he did what he was supposed to do. He got the blood work redone and the doctors were stunned and amazed. Um, they said that in 30 years, this doctor said in 30 years, plus years, in practicing internal medicine, he had never seen this before. And that's astonishing. His doctor then revealed the other two issues from his previous blood work that um, needed attention. And he kept asking him, Brother Bruce, what, what what did you do? And Brother Bruce is saying he thanks God for being his healer. He acknowledges that. And to all that have kept him in prayer during that time. So, again, we are helping one another. And sometimes it's just a smile. Sometimes it's just a word of encouragement. But God shows us how to encourage each other. And um, I know that's happened to me so many times. And the ones that are saying it, the ones that are just um, showing that kindness, they don't know all the things that are going on. But the strength that I get from that is just, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, so uh, two of those issues are completely done away with, while the third issue numbers have dramatically gone down and it's heading in the right direction. So um, it, it just says to me uh, to just tell you all today through this testimony and through um, uh, the praise reports from Candy and uh, Brother Bobby that um, that's God's way of doing things. He is the one that turns these things around, and he works them in our favor. That's not just a song. That's something that God does, and he does it very well. So we thank God for your praise reports. It, it helps us to... When we are involved in different things that are happening in our lives and we hear these praise reports, we can say, well, you know, God is no respecter of persons and he wants to do the same thing for me. And it gives us encouragement. So as you go today, enjoy the rest of the day, but just know that God is in your corner. And if God is for us, which he is, he's more than the whole world against us. So God bless you and enjoy the rest of the day and the rest of your week.